first nine verses there of, of Luke's 13th chapter. Let's read these words together or follow along together. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not then cut it down. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious God, that we would hear, that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive your word, and that these words that I speak would be inspired by your Holy Spirit, pleasing to you and useful for us in becoming the body of Christ you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus. Amen. I share with you as we begin these moments that as the week developed this past week, as I, as I worked on this message, I started to, 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 to meditate on the scriptures and kind of put things together, uh, it became my intention at one point to actually not even read um, the first six verses, the first really five verses up until the parable of the fig tree. Not because... There was any problem with those verses, nothing because I, I didn't think they were worthy of our time, but because the, the, the message started to focus on the back half of the text, on that parable that Jesus tells. And I, I didn't really see as much of a connection between what Jesus says in the first five verses as he talks about these tragedies, which is what he's talking about, the, the suffering of the Galileans, the, those who died in, in this Tower of Siloam, which we don't really know anything about historically, but Jesus is talking about these who have suffered um, unjustly. And, and I didn't see, see a connection there. So my intention had been, I was just going to pick it up at the, the parable of the fig tree and just read those few verses. But you ever notice how sometimes when you start pulling a strand, it leads you in places or you find connections that you wouldn't have naturally seen it reminded me in kind of a, a very superficial way of the way uh, our desk at home used to be set up with, with our, our computer monitor here, but the, the tower, the CPU was down here, so you had all the cables that would run from the back of the, the computer up into the, the printer or to the, to the monitor. And you ever had to try to change out a cable? You know, you, you go to the back of a computer, and they're all, they're all individual. They're unique. They're, they're not, they, they have their own identity, if you will. But you unplug it, and you start to pull, and you find that you're pulling all of the wires, that they've become kind of entwined, that there's more of a connection there than you usually want, um, but, but that there is, there, there's a, a tie-in. 
And, and that's kind of what happened. I started to pull. I started to see that there, there might be a little more of a connection than, than I had thought. And so let's start to pull for a moment. The heart, I think, of Jesus' teaching here. The heart of this parable of the fig tree. It's a simple story. It's a fig tree that for three years, the owner of the vineyard says, is not producing fruit. It's useless. It's, it's not meant to be a decorative tree. It's not meant to sit there for a pretty tree. It's meant to produce figs, and it's not doing it. And so the owner says, cut it down. It has no use. And, and the heart of that, the, the heart of the message is, is Jesus, I think, wants to communicate and wants us to be very, very clear that in Christ, in faith, in our obedience to him, there is not just a, a desire, but there's an obligation. There's a, a command upon our lives. We are supposed to bear fruit. Our life in Christ, our faith is meant to have an impact. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus teaching, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. That is, that is part of the, the command upon our lives. That's part of God's expectation for us. When we stand before a church and we affirm our faith, when we are baptized, that we will do something, that we'll make an impact for the kingdom. H.G. Wells wrote an essay, and in an essay, one of his writings, obviously many years ago, he talked about the goodness sakers. He described a group of people as the goodness sakers. Have any of you ever heard of the goodness sakers? Here are the goodness sakers. Here's the description. When something bad happens, when evil takes place, when there's, when there's great tragedy or great loss or great need, goodness sakers are the people that throw up their hands and say, for goodness sake... I wish somebody would do something about that. You hear that? For goodness sake, I wish somebody would do something about that. Now hear me say this, friends. God does not call us to be goodness sakers. He calls us to be goodness doers. He calls us to not just see the need, to see the, but to do something. We pray every week in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. How does God work his will on earth? He does it through his church. Through his, it's not the only way God, but that's how God has chosen that. We have been called to be the body and blood, or to be the body of Christ. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus does it through us. We're not called to be a bunch of goodness sakers, but rather to engage. In fact, those of you that are contemporary music fans, um, and we talked about the concert this morning, and have been to and have heard music from Matthew West. Matthew West has a song. It's one of my favorite songs, and it's called Do Something. And that's the whole gist of the lyrics. Go listen to it. You go home today. Here's my homework. Go on Google and type it. It's a great song. Do Something. Matthew West. And what you'll hear is his reflection on the fact that the lyrics talk about seeing tragedy, seeing injustice, seeing oppression, and crying out to God, why don't you do something? And God's response in the song, I have. I created you. I created you. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? We're called to do something, to bear fruit. That's, that's what Jesus calls it. Matthew, 20, or Matthew 25, the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. We talk about this all the time. What's the criteria? I was hungry and you, 
and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. You did something called to bear fruit. According to your gifts, a fig tree is called to bear figs. Not oranges, not apples, figs. But you're called to bear fruit, as am I. So do something. But in that parable is also a beautifully and powerful, beautifully woven and powerfully communicated testimony to grace. In verses 8 and 9, when the fig When the vineyard owner says, cut it down, it has produced no fruit. The gardener, the caretaker, the tender says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't give up yet. One more year. Allow me to nurture it. Allow me to water it. Allow me to fertilize it. Give it another chance to bear fruit. And in that moment, what we see and are woven in this parable is the gospel of grace. It is this picture of the entire gospel of Jesus that says God doesn't give up on us. That God is a God of second chances. That even when we fall short in being who we've been created to be, even when we don't bear fruit as we're called to do, God in Christ isn't quite ready to quit on us yet. But there is a truth to second chances. An opportunity for third and fourth chances. An opportunity to recover, if you will. And who doesn't need in their lives opportunities to recover? To get better, to, to begin again, if you will. There's a story told of a, of a young man who was working in a grocery store, in a produce section at a grocery store. And a customer came in one day and said she wanted to buy half a grapefruit. She was insistent that she be allowed to buy Half a grapefruit. And the young man explained to her, man, that's not how we sell grapefruits. We sell whole grapefruits. Didn't matter. She wanted half half a grapefruit. And those of you that work in customer service areas know that sometimes customers can be incredibly demanding. Yes, some of you are laughing. And so she kept on and on and on. So finally, exasperation, this young man said, fine, I'll go ask the manager. So he goes to find the manager, but he's unaware that the woman follows him. And so he gets to his manager and he says, you're not going to believe this, but there is this crazy lady out there that wants to buy half a grapefruit. And as he says that, he turns around and sees her standing there. And he says, and this lady here wants to buy the other half. (laughs) And so they sell half the grapefruit and the woman walks away in victory and the manager looks at that young man and says, that was a tremendous recovery. That was amazing how you recovered from that. I'm very, very impressed. He's like, I don't think I know you. Where are you from, young man? And he says, oh, I'm from Dallas, the home of ugly women and great football teams. (laughs) And the manager looks at him and says, oh, really? My wife is from Dallas. (laughs) And he says, that's amazing. What position does she play? Now, who of us doesn't wish we were that quick? Because who of us has not had that moment where we know we've stuck our foot in our mouth and we've desperately tried to figure out how to dig out? Okay, now that's light and that's surface level and that's in many ways superficial. What the gospel is, God's second chance. God's promise of of opportunities to recover, to begin again. God's word that he doesn't give up on us. See, 
the parable of the fig tree says, yes, you are to bear fruit. But in those moments of unfaithfulness, because we all have them, in those moments where we miss the opportunities because we all do, because of our own blindness or our own unwillingness, the truth of the gospel is God doesn't give up. God doesn't give up. In fact, there's an apocryphal story of Winston Churchill, uh, and there's a lot of apocryphal and legendary stories of Winston Churchill. Sometimes it's hard to separate the fact from the fiction. But in this particular story, it said that he was invited to do a commencement address in front of, um, I think, a school that he had graduated from. And he came, and he was introduced as the speaker, and all the accolades and all the accomplishments and the long list of, of recognition is shared And Winston Churchill gets up out of his seat and he comes to the podium and he stands there for a moment and he looks out on the graduates and he says this, never give up. And then he goes and he sits down. And they sit there in silence, kind of unsure what to do. And he sits there for a few moments and he stands back up and he walks to the podium. And he looks at the graduates and he says, never give up. And he goes and he sits down again. And they're in stunned silence. Five times he gets up and he walks to the podium and he says, never give up. And he sits back down. After that fifth visit, he feels like he's done what he can do and he doesn't get up again. Now, I can promise you this. Had you and I been sitting there that day, it is a speech we would never have forgotten. Sometimes... The simple truth can be the most profound truth. Never give up. Jesus wants us to know that we worship a never-give-up God. The the story of the scriptures are full of God's never-give-up character. Adam and Eve are created in the image of God, and they're given one rule, don't eat from that tree, and they do. And God doesn't give up. Abraham wanders And the words of the angels and the messengers come to him and his wife. Sarah laughs, but God doesn't give up. Moses stands in the presence of God, and he argues, and he tries to hide, and he defers, and he begs off God's call. And God never gives up. The people of Israel complained. The Israelite, the children, the Hebrew children, they complained and they grumbled against God and they were ungrateful for his deliverance. God never gave up. David, a man after God's own heart, sinned with Bathsheba, conspired against her husband Uriah, and God never gave up. The Jewish people in their unfaithfulness were taken into exile. Their homeland was overthrown, and God never gave up. John the Baptist was beheaded. God never gave up. Peter denied. God never gave up. The disciples ran and hid and abandoned Jesus, and God never gave up. We could do this all day through Genesis to Revelation, the story of God who doesn't give up. And that's our story. Because there are times in our lives when we have denied him. There are times in our lives we have abandoned him. There are times in our lives we have missed the opportunity to bear fruit and to be faithful. And God doesn't give up. And that's the good news of the gospel. A never give up God who looks at our lives and says, I ain't quitting on you. 
I'm going to keep pursuing. I'm going to keep chasing. I'm going to keep watering. I'm going to keep fertilizing for prayers that one day you will connect to me and you will bear fruit. I never give up, God. That is the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim, the hope that we have. And when that claims us, and some of us here today, we just need to start there. That's the word you need to hear today. In spite of your sin, in spite of your story, in spite of the mistakes you think you can never be forgiven for, God doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on you. But then we also need to hear the challenge. We don't give up. In Christ, we don't give up in pursuing the things of God, pursuing the opportunities to be about the things that God has called us to, to be difference makers. This is where we tie back in to the beginning of that text, those first few verses there in Luke chapter 13. Because life is hard. Life throws a lot of things at us. In Jeremiah, in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, the verse 3, Jeremiah, in exasperation, proclaims, for 23 years I have cried out to you, and you have not heard me. And do, you, do you hear that prayer? Do you hear that heart? I, I've cried, and I just don't see it. I don't know where you are. I don't think you hear me. I promise you, friends, most of us who walk with Jesus long enough have those moments. We have those kind of prayers. But here's what stands out to me. Jeremiah said, for 23 years I've prayed, and I'm not sure you're hearing me. For 23 years, not a week, not a two, not a few months. For 23 years, Jeremiah never quit. He never quit. And Jesus says that, in the beginning, he said, yeah, you know, there's some tragedies that happened. These Galileans that had their blood spilt by Pilate. These 18 people that fell in this tragedy as this tower fell upon them. And he says that this is not a judgment of God. This is not some indictment that they were sinful and others weren't. In fact, as Jesus would later say, God causes the rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. God's not playing chess with our lives. But the reality is, life is hard. And some of us, all of us face challenges and difficulties at different levels. But God calls us to remember as he doesn't give up on us, don't give up. Don't stop pursuing the things of God, the heart of God, the faithfulness of God. Seek to bear fruit, to make a difference, to be a blessing. All those things that we say, don't give up. Don't give up. Some of us here today are in that place. Life is hard, and you've been dealt some tough cards. And, and you're facing some obstacles and challenges, and sometimes you just feel like throwing it in. Don't give up. God doesn't give up on you, and God won't stop being with you. Because we worship a never-give-up God. And as hard as it is sometimes, we're called to be a never-give-up people. Hear that brothers and sisters. Hear the word of hope and the word of promise, what God does for us and what God is accomplishing through us. A never give up God. Never give up. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the word of hope you speak into us and the challenge and strength you work through us. Help us to hear from you to hear your words of grace, because that's what it is. It's grace, your forgiveness and your love that speaks into us and, and your challenge that calls us forward in faith. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Help us to not give up on ourselves or your power work through us. We pray in Jesus. Amen.
I know that I do this often as we prepare for communion, and that is to remind you who was at that table with Jesus. Because that's important. In fact, I don't know that I can remind you enough, that we could remember enough, because it speaks to the character of God. Remember who's at that table. Thomas, who's going to doubt that what Jesus says is true is true, that what the disciples say is true. He's going to doubt. Peter, who's going to deny, is at that table. Judas, who has betrayed, is at that table. And all the others who would run for fear are at that table. Jesus knows all of that. He knows their flaws. He knows their shortcomings. And yet, he says these words to them as he says to us, giving God thanks for the bread. He said, this is my body, my gift, and it's broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is grace. This is grace. Every time you eat this meal, do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. This is grace. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus invites us to the table of grace. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, bless gifts of bread and juice that they would remind us of our hope that is that you don't give up on us you forgive us by your blood you've cleansed us and then you've called us to be your body in the grace we have received to not give up being about the kingdom work you've called us to Lord make us faithful to that unite us together in love and ministry and service Forgive us when we fall short. Empower us in faith. And may we be obedient until the day comes when we enter your kingdom and forever we share this meal in your presence, your perfect presence. All glory in yours, almighty Father, on this day and for all days. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.